chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's read verses 22 through 31. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, this afternoon we want to look at the need for faithfulness in the church. If our dictionary would be revised in the next few years, beside the entry for the word faithfulness, there would possibly be a note which reads, a once prized characteristic of human character which is now extinct. You might uh, think that's a bit uh, ridiculous. But there's more truth to that statement than many would realize. If faithfulness is not yet extinct in our culture, it is at least moving in that direction. It may not be dead, but it's getting pretty sick. The characteristic of faithfulness is certainly one element that's missing in our society today. Marriages break up because of a lack of faithfulness. Business partnerships dissolve, friendships end in bitterness because of a lack of faithfulness, and churches suffer because of the lack of faithfulness. Now, unfortunately, faithfulness and words related to it like commitment, loyalty, reliability, and integrity are no longer considered essential or important. But for us as believers, faithfulness is indispensable. Without it, we'll not be pleasing God. Indeed, the one characteristic which should mark Christians is faithfulness. It should mark us because it marks God. God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If you believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. That word faithful means to rely upon, have confidence in. And the opposite of faithful is unfaithful. Uh, Proverbs, uh, I'm not sure what happened to it. Proverbs 25, 19 
says, confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Ever had a bad tooth? (laughs) Yeah, we know what that's like, don't we? Ever had a foot out of joint? Way back there in the corner. You know what that's like. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And because God is faithful, we learn, need to learn to be faithful. Faithfulness is one character, characteristic which should never become extinct among true believers. The dictionary definition is doing one's duty, keeping one's promise, being loyal. And the faithful, when we talk about that term, the faithful, Those are referring to Christians or true believers. And the scriptures call the Christian to be faithful in many cases, in many areas. But today we're going to, again, look at what it means to be faithful to the church. You say, well, preacher, you preached that last Sunday. Yes, I did. And we're going to hit it again today. But I'm not, I I not only want you to know that you are to be faithful, but I want you to know how to be faithful. So we've read our text. How are we to be faithful to the church? Well, first of all, you should be faithful to attend your church. Again, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've already said that this word forsaking means to desert, to abandon, to leave behind. Listen, a Christian has a biblical obligation to attend church. I think people take this verse way too lightly. You know, you look at the context here, and there are some serious statements in what I just read a moment ago. There's a great danger in forsaking the assembly. I had someone tell me that nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we have to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. You know what? They're right. But it does say in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, and they continued, how how often? Daily. Daily. With one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat in gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church, when? Daily, as such as should be saved. And so apparently by this, we can conclude they met every day. That'd be way overboard. The Bible does does give us some specific instruction when it comes to Sunday. It says in Acts 20, verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, and when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I won't be here that long. You won't be here that long. But notice they came together on the first day of the week, and that is Sunday. 2 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, and there be no gatherings when I come. As you notice two things. First of all, Paul says, I have given order to the church. In other words, he set up the order, the way they did things, including when they met. And when, it, when he says upon the first day of the week, that is Sunday, he gives them some instruction about giving. 
So the Bible does not specifically say we are to meet together on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, but it does give us a principle that the local church puts order to their services. Uh, I think it is in our Constitution that we meet Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, you know, uh, we meet twice on Sunday, we have Sunday school. Those are, that's the order that has been agreed upon. Now, uh, that's what the Bible teaches us. It's expected that people follow the order if they're going to be a part of a church. Now, the Bible teaches us that Christians are to meet together for public worship and fellowship. In 2 Thessalonians 2.1, Paul referred to it as a gathering. That's what we have here today, a gathering. You know, I got saved in church. I don't know about you. Some of you got saved in a home, got saved in a meeting someplace, or you got saved out on a tractor, or you got saved someplace, but I got saved in church. I've served in various capacities in the church. I was called to preach in a church. I pastor a church. My salary comes from a church. I love the church. And I thank God for the training I received as a boy and as a young man that my parents realized the importance of being in church whenever there was a service, whether it was Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, or even special meetings. We were there. I've never known anything else. And when I lived by myself, and then I, when I got married, we continued that practice. My children have not known anything else. As long as they were in our home, we went to church. Why? I think it's because it's the right thing to do. Listen to what it says in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in all the days of my life to Behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I want you to think about that word inquire. It means to make inquiry, to seek out, to search. What was the psalmist searching for? Well, if you go on in Psalm 27, it says, For in the time of trouble he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in this his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me, when thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine adversaries. Psalm 27. You see what comes from being in the Lord's house? It is help for times of trouble. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school for the adults. Trouble. It's getting above the enemies of God. Know any enemies of God? We've got them all around us today. It's singing praises to the Lord. It's a place to be taught God's way. Psalm 84, 1 through 4 says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. 
even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall be still praising thee, Selah, for a day, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, it's my desire to be associated with the work of God. I count a great privilege that I can be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing, Christ-honoring local New Testament church. You say, well, that's fine for you because that's your vocation, preacher. That's your calling. But you know what? Whether you're a preacher or an officer or a Sunday school teacher or an attender, you've been called to be faithful too. Faithful to your local body of believers. And you don't just come to church to get a message from the Lord. You come to church to meet with Jesus. There's a sense in which the Lord is present when his people gather. And he's not present in any other, in, in another way. But he's, he's present when we meet together in that sense. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You say, well, I can pray by myself at home. And I can talk to God. Yes, you can. You say, well, if there's two or three of us that gather in our home, well, that'd be good enough. Well, Matthew 18, 20 is in the context of church discipline. And I believe that God meets with us in a way that's different than if we meet, you know, a couple of Christians meet together uh, and get together for some fellowship or even Bible study. We do that from time to time. We meet one another or we we, uh, spend some time talking about God's word. But it's different when you come to church. God is going to bless the work of believers as they gather, gather together in the local church and worship him. Now, there's another phrase here in verse 25. It says, as ye uh, see the day. What day is he referring to here? Well, he's referring to the day of the coming of Christ. As we look and see the Lord's coming is getting nearer and nearer, faithfulness is going to be even more necessary than ever before. You know, this is a time for people to stay in church, not get out. Two reasons why people get out of church. They fall in love, out of love with God. It says in Matthew 12, uh, 24, 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure means to stay under, to remain, to persevere, to abide. Out of church, out of love with God. And they fall out of love with their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, here in our text, it says, uh, for not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some men, but exhorting who? One another. Oh, how important it is to be an, uh, helpful and encouragement to one another. To know that other people are going through problems just like you're going through. To, to know how that God's helped them and answered their prayers. What an encouragement that is. You see, again, the book of Hebrews is a book of warnings. When a person starts missing church, things start happening. Let me tell you what will happen to you when you miss a lot of church. And all these are from the Bible. I'm not making these up, folks. Listen, you're going to begin to drift. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 
Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Slip. That means to flow by, carelessly pass. You always drift downstream, don't you? I don't know much about, you know, the river. But you always go downstream. You drift downstream. You don't drift upstream. Okay. I got that right. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You know, it bothers me to hear someone say, Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to live in the water to be a fish either. You see, that is a lie that the devil has gotten people to believe. That's open rebellion against God. When people start missing a lot of church, they start to drift on God. They're on their way out. Secondly, you go to chapter 3 and we find that you will doubt. Chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Departing, that means to remove, withdraw self, to desert, to make excuses. Oh, well, you know, that church, the preacher let me down. The deacons let me down. The teacher, the Sunday school teacher let me down. People get out of church and blame others. But it's their doubt and unbelief that gets them out because they've missed too much. You'll either, uh, you'll notice here that the writer's says something very similar in chapter 3 as he does in chapter 10. He does he tells us that we are to be exhorting one another. Tell me, how are you going to exhort another Christian if you don't come to church? Don't avail yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ by being faithful. In chapter 3, it says exhorting one another. Where's that word again? Daily. Oh, uh, Does that mean we're going to start having services every day here at Spooner Baptist Church? No. But I believe the early church might have had a lot more gatherings than we do today. Again, we have designated Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening to be our regular times to gather as body believers. And we come together faithful, unless providentially and hindered, you know, there are some things we can't have any uh, control over and we are hindered. We can't get here. We get sick. But we're here to exhort, to encourage, to pray for and with one another in the Lord. It will protect you. It will help you from doubting and unbelief. If you stay away from church, you begin to drift. You'll begin to doubt. And thirdly, you'll begin to be dull of hearing. Chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 11 of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. Sometimes I wonder if people are listening to the preacher. Or perhaps they have become dull of hearing because they have missed too much church. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Excuse me time of the year must be spring and if i'm not careful it'll be about three or four more coming but 
<laughs> faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not only saving faith, but also sanctifying faith. You know, people get saved by hearing the word of God, but people also grow in their faith by hearing the word of God. If you're not growing in your Christian life, perhaps it's because you're not availing yourself to the hearing of the word. And the reason Hebrew Christians were dull of hearing was because they were still babes in Christ. They had not matured in Christ. Number four, you will depart. This is in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Now, we discuss this. We're not going to go uh, over this, uh, rehash this whole uh, uh, passage again. We said it was not about losing your salvation. It's not even saying you're saved, but never having a genuine relationship with the Lord, you know, a professor versus a possessor. No, throughout the letter of Hebrews, the writer is writing to believers. And we'll not go into an explanation of chapter 6 again, but I will say that when we stay away from church, when we don't read and study the Bible and spend time with the Lord and with His people, we depart from living the Christian life. Perhaps there's a reason to doubt this kind of person, this uh, person's salvation. But even a Christian can depart from living the Christian life. But he sets himself up for discipline from the Lord. And that's coming in chapter 12, of course. Now, those are four warnings that have already been given to us here in Hebrews. But there's another one. And this is probably the most solemn warning of them all. When you forsake, when you desert, when you abandon, when you leave behind faithful attendance to the local assembly of believers, you will despise. Again, this is in our text. Look at verse 26 of chapter 10. For if we willingly, after, have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Note, It says, verse, if we sin willfully. Notice the word willfully. It means by choice, voluntarily, intentionally, and that even stronger words, stubbornly, in spite of. Again, as in other places, the commentators want us to believe, well, the writer here, he's talking about those who've really never been saved. But I remind you again of the context The writer is speaking to believers. And yes, believers can willfully sin. And our text says it right here. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And the warning is to the Hebrew believers because many of them were continuing to go to the temple and some of them actually offering sacrifices there. They were keeping up a front pretending they were still under the Mosaic law, and in doing so, they were also saying that the sacrifice of Christ was meaningless to them. And since the animal sacrifices were a type of Christ's sacrifice, now that Christ had died on the cross, all that had been fulfilled. Therefore, what before had been done in obedience to God's command now is becoming willful sin. To continue to offer blood sacrifices which had been fulfilled by Christ was a frightful, terrible thing. 
They were acting as if the temple sacrifices were going on forever. If we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. Means to go on sinning willfully by offering sacrifices. It is an attitude toward the word of God, which God calls rebellion. There's no more sacrifice in the Old Testament or the New Testament for presumptuous sins. If you go back to Psalm 19 and verse 13, it says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then will I be upright and I will be innocent from the great transgression. That word presumptuous means arrogant, boldly, rude, intentionally disregarding the feeling of others, acting without permission or right to be proud and to deal proudly. Willful sin, that's presumptuous sins. Someone has said presumptuous sins will get you in the graveyard. Think about it. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. But think about it. David lied. He committed adultery. He murdered. Amnon's sister Tamar was raped by him, and Absalom had Amnon killed for it. David lost his child because of what? Presumptuous sin. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, and Jezebel killed Naboth. If we look over in Exodus 21, Exodus 21, 12. says, he that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him unto his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whether he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously, there's that word again, upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from thine halter that he may die. If we... Go ahead a little bit to Numbers and Numbers 15 and verse 27. Numbers 15, 27. And if thy any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both of him that is born among children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised, despised the word of the Lord, hath broken his commandment, that the soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. Yep, that's Old Testament, I know. But the book of Hebrews is New Testament. And we need to be careful about how we treat the Lord. And the backsliding begins by missing too much church. I don't think it's a light thing with the Lord. I'm afraid too many Christians, again, take this Bible principle of faithful church attendance too lightly. And by the way, I didn't put Hebrews 10.26 after Hebrews 10.25. Did you ever notice that? God put it there. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And then verse 26, but are for if we sin willfully. That's what God said.
You can either do as God commanded or you can disobey. And before you came to church, you made a choice this morning. It may be a conscious choice or an unconscious choice, but this afternoon, uh, you know, you're going to make choices. Wednesday night, you're going to make a choice. Are you going to forsake and desert, or are you going to be where God wants you to be? Again, if we look at other passages, we can find this theme throughout the Word of God. Stay away from presumptuous sins. You know, you can't live a victorious Christian life with poor church attendance. No more than a fish can live out of water. You can't live a godly life without the church. You need the church like a fish needs water. Let me also point out that what the Bible says about Jesus and his attendance to the house of God. In Luke four sixteen, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on Sabbath day and stood up for to read. The word custom means a long-established habit. It is an action that a person has repeated so often that he does it just naturally and probably without thinking. We say without thinking, but we do. I hope you thought about it when you got, you got up this morning. Oh, it's Sunday. I'm going to church. And, but this describes Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Many times we lose sight of Jesus. We lose consciousness of his presence. You know, it's like Joseph and Mary in Luke 2, 43. Where, the, where did they find him? They lost him. They were on their way back home and he wasn't there. Where did they find him? In the temple. In John 6, after feeding the 5,000, they were seeking for Jesus. In verse 24, where did they find him? That's right, they found him in the synagogue, verse 59. If Jesus thought it was important to go to church, how much more would it be for us to be in church? If you love Jesus like you should, it should be your custom, your habit to go to church, even It won't even cross your mind not to show up to the house of God on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if you love the Lord. That's a good habit. Now, there are more ways to be faithful to church. Secondly, you should be faithful to defend your church. Now, I'm convinced that the devil doesn't like the fact that Spooner Baptist Church even exists. The devil would rather have this be an empty lot here. And these people never to come together. If he could, he would love to destroy this church to close it down. This church has been a thorn in his side, I think, over the years. It's been a blockade to his progress in Spooner. Our church has been and will go on from now against all that the devil is. And he will love to see this house forsaken. So how can you defend your church? Well, what do you say when someone in church begins to gossip or begins to complain about something that's going on in the church, the way the church is operating? If someone comes up to you and says something critical about the pastor or the deacons or a Sunday school teacher, how do you handle it? You chime in, right? Well, I heard this too. I heard so-and-so, and then we, we start talking about it. You know what I think we ought to do? Well, did you hear about what so-and-so said? 
You know, when someone comes about a problem or a situation they have no way of solving, maybe you need to ask them, well, why don't we, why don't you call the pastor or call the deacons and ask them? Don't ask me. Why don't you go with them and ask about this situation? You see, that's defending this church. By the way, this isn't your church. It isn't my church. It isn't our church. It's the Lord's church. So we need to defend it. Don't let gossip. Don't let ridicule. Don't let complaining. Don't let criticism tear this church down. Do all you can to build it up. We need to be praying, Oh God, protect this church that it will not, uh, that, that which will destroy, protect us from what will destroy it and hinder the work. The work of Christ in this community. Are you praying about that? We must be faithful, faithful to attend, faithful to defend. Thirdly, we should be faithful to extend our church. We're to go out and bring others in. Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Are you going out? Are you compelling people to come to the house of God? Or do you come and sit here and sit here and sit here and think, well, I've done God a favor today. When was the last time you made a determined effort to invite someone to church? And if you've done that recently, then praise the Lord. Someone might say, well, that's the pastor's job. That's what we pay him for. Yes, that is my job. That's my responsibility. But it's also your responsibility. So you should be faithful to attend. You should be faithful to defend. You should be faithful to extend your church. And then fourthly, you should be faithful to commend your church. Don't criticize your church. Love your church. This church isn't perfect, by the way. As a matter of fact, it's a group of sinners who finally realize they they are nothing without Jesus and who've decided to do something about it. What do I mean by commend? Well, notice the definition of commend. I think it can be summed up with four words, and they're all similar, of course, because they are defining the word commend. One is praise. Praise somebody or someone or something about our church. Praise somebody or something in a maybe in a formal way. The church was commended for sound doctrine and friendliness. Praise is a way to commend the church. Show. Cause something to be acceptable. Show something to uh, possess worthwhile qualities. You know, the church, the people of, of uh, uh, that church have much to commend it. In other words, the people of this church show their faithfulness. They are here when the doors are open and there is a service. They come for the business meetings uh, to conduct the business of the church. They show by their lifestyle that God is the top priority of their lives. Another word is endorse. Endorse somebody or something. Endorse somebody or something as being worthy of approval. Now, would there be any hesitation to commend this church to other people? Can you say, well, I don't know if you should really like this church or not. Now, there are some churches I would hesitate to commend to people. Some people ask me about a church in such and such a city, and I say, well... I'm not so sure about that church. They're kind of getting off doctrinally and their practice is a little. I hope that can never be said of this church. 
And then surrender. Surrender somebody or something for safekeeping. Entrust somebody, yourself, your husband, your wife, your children, your soul, to somebody's safekeeping. Are you praising the Lord for your church? Are you showing others that it's commendable? Are you endorsing it to others? Are you surrendering yourself and your family to the Lord's care through this local New Testament church? We need to be faithful. We should be faithful to attend our church. We should be faithful to defend our church. We should be faithful to extend our church. We should be faithful to commend our church. And faithfulness faithfulness is needed in our attendance to the house of God. How faithful are you? Are you faithful or unfaithful? Let's pray. Father in heaven...